0: On today's episode, we toast the Benedict monk whose innovations made modern sparkling wine possible and uncorked the once dangerous world of champagne.
1: There's a rare isotope of hydrogen that gets us into heavy water. Oh. Loves a chemical reaction in the brain So let me be your Bunsen burner Let me be your naked flame Let me be your Bunsen burner Let me be your naked flame
0: Welcome to Light Your Buns and Burner, the science history podcast that lights up your mind. I'm Marila Rosas. And joining me as always is a man on his very own champagne campaign.
1: That's right, people. <laughs> I want a campaign for <laughs> 2020 of champagne. <laughs> uh, and my name is the great Jonah Baker. Pick up.
0: Pick up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank all of you for joining us today. Um, So, Jonah, the past couple of weeks, we've kind of had kind of dark topics, a little bit, sort of.
1: A lot of Nazis. A lot of suicide, a lot of Nazis, a lot of of tasting of nasty shit.
0: Yeah, so let's taste something tasty. Okay. (laughs) So I figured, yeah, we can just pop open a bottle of something more celebratory. So, Jonah... What is your favorite celebratory alcoholic beverage? I have
1: a couple, and it really is just depending on what the occasion is and who Mm. I'm with. I really enjoy my whiskey and gin, but a nice bottle of Prosecco is Mm, usually what my wife and I will have.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, My favorite is, you know, sparkling wine. So, you know, if I'm feeling like making it rain, spending a ton of money, I'll get an actual bottle of champagne. Oh, yeah? Um, Yeah. But I do want to preface this episode by saying that I'm not a winemaker, you're not a winemaker, we're not, you know, sommeliers or anything, so we know very little, beside actually just drinking the I stuff. I know how to
1: drink it very well, yes, I know I'm how to get buzzed expert. very well, yes. and public sex used to make our own wine. Really? Yeah, it was based off a jailhouse recipe.
0: <laughs> so there was a toilet involved.
1: <laughs> no, there wasn't. We were much cleaner than that.
0: A clean toilet.
1: Yes, there you go. <laughs> Ajax people. Oh,
0: God. Let's just buy one from home depot <laughs> um yeah so in case um we mispronounce something because there's a lot of french or misstate something because again not experts please forgive us because we have us.
1: accidental accidents
0: accidents yeah <laughs> <laughs> we, we we we've been drinking so it's fine um forgive us um so, not Or don't. That's fine. We don't care. Um, So whether you're popping a cork to the new year, toasting at a wedding, or sipping on a mimosa because mama needs a socially acceptable way to get shit-faced at 11
1: a.m. Mimosa.
0: Yes. Uh, Champagne is usually the go-to. Champagne is perhaps one of the most recognizable and widely consumed wine styles in the world. During 2017, Americans consumed twenty three point four seven million nine 9-liter cases of champagne or sparkling wine. And that's about how
1: much I drink in a week.
0: So you were the – Jonah alone was responsible <laughs> for the entire consumption of champagne in America in, 20, in
1: 2017. That's right. <laughs> it was a great year.
0: Yeah. And while well, that's merely a fraction of global consumption, France alone drinks – 153.7 million bottles annually and has consumed more champagne than the rest of the world combined since the middle of the last century. Yet yeah, in 2016, global champagne sh- uh, shipments reached a record of $5.34 billion.
1: So, champagne is the industry to be in.
0: Yes, as of now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Champagne can even serve as an indicator of consumer confidence, meaning that when, you know, champagne sales spike, consumers are buying more luxury goods and the economy is technically booming. People like, have the money to spend like on – um, at strip Yeah, popping bottles mm-hmm. on and, yachts.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> um, doing,
1: doing your, uh, your rap videos and yeah. on your uh, very expensive rock videos. You got to oh. pop that bottle
0: pop that bottle so this is exemplified by the sharp decline in champagne sales during the 20 uh, the 2008 recession and you know the steady increase now that the economy has been stabilized but kind of let's let's start off by laying out the most obvious facts about champagne it's tasty it's fucking tasty (laughs) delicious yummy um you Um, can pour it on people yeah
1: you could drink it off of people too Okay. Yeah.
0: Haven't tried that one yet. Oh,
1: you should. It's fine. No. Body shots.
0: With champagne? Be too fizzy. Um, you
1: could pour it down ice and then drink it like that, too, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Let's
0: do that. So, <laughs> I don't know. Let's <laughs> just drink it. <laughs> so, champagne with a capital C Ooh. only comes from the Champagne region of France. Pretty obvious. Okay. That's one of the things people know and we'll kind of delve into the details of that a little bit later but for now just know that if it comes from anywhere else it is technically sparkling wine um, most of the time you know the laymen use these two terms interchangeably so while champagne is a sparkling wine not all sparkling wine is champagne
1: how y'all doing today i am layman and i use he is champagne layman. for everything <laughs>
0: Has champagne.
1: That's <laughs> champagne. So,
0: actually, right now, we're drinking a really nice Italian Prosecco. So, this is a sparkling wine. It actually says it right on the label. Because
1: it is from Italy.
0: Italy, yes. So, all it's right. not from champagne. It's a sparkling wine. Okay. So, anyways, before we get into the history of champagne specifically, we have to kind of backtrack quite a lot. Um, we have to go all the way back when a certain enzyme developed in our primate ancestors. So, approximately 10 million years ago, the enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase 4, or ADH4, arose in the human genome.
1: I think I have a bad name now. (laughs) What? The ADH4. ADH4.
0: (laughs) Among other substrates, ADH4 can metabolize ethanol, as in, you know, the type that we drink, uh, to have a good time. But...
1: Is that also the kind you release after having a good time? No. (laughs) It was it's a metabolized.
0: Gastric. You don't all oh, gas. Yeah, sure,
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I'll I'll allow it, Jonah.
1: Okay, <laughs> I have been approved.
0: But why would like such an enzyme kind of be evolutionary evolutionarily favored in hominids? Do Maybe have-
1: because um, we were born to drink.
0: We were born to drink. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So as Robert Evans explains in his book, A Brief History of Vice, quote, The primates who first started using alcohol must have been rewarded for their ability to tolerate it and their desire to seek it out. And reward in that last sentence means they had t- lots of tiny drunken animal sex. Oh, um, okay. So it seems that we are inherently programmed to enjoy and seek out alcohol. In fact, 10% And lower
1: our inhibitions.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in fact, 10% of the enzymes in the human liver are dedicated to turning alcohol into energy.
1: All right. So, so we're, we're drink built to get fucked up. We can make gas off of this probably. Uh,
0: energy. Energy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I already feel energized.
0: Oh, very much so. People drink
1: a nice cup of prosecco and then go to work.
0: Right at eleven in the morning. (laughs) Um, It's better than a cup of coffee. No, don't drink and drive, guys.
1: No Uber to work.
0: Uber to work. (laughs) There you go. Take the bus, walk. Um, So the process of fermentation uh, can occur naturally in overripe fruit. Ripe fruit contains a lot of sugars and therefore a lot of calories. So our ancient primate. Ancestors could have developed a key nose that sought out the that conspicuous smell of fermentation because it's really noticeable oh when yes, something's fermenting. Very. So our drunk monkey an- ancestors were fat monkey ancestors that were, you know, more likely to, you know, bust a nut.
1: So not much has changed.
0: Not much has changed <laughs> t- <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, we look a little different. We don't have tails, but... <laughs> yeah,
1: I wish I had a tail.
0: I mean, you can. It's just, you got to get a plug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, now, as we evolved, our understanding of fermentation became more sophisticated, and we developed methods to produce our own happy juice. Whee. Yay! So, um, deliberate fermentation of fruits probably dates back into the Paleolithic period, but we don't really have a lot of evidence to support that, but it's probably happening. Um, the oldest.
1: That was my favorite period, by the way. The Paleolithic? Oh, yeah.
0: You Definitely. enjoyed it, it had was. a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> fermenting, you know. Fermentation
1: fer- going fermenting on. Fermenting fruits, know. you know. Sex with tidy animals and shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was great.
0: A lot of plugs. <laughs> a lot of plugs. A lot of tells. <laughs> um, the actual oldest known fermented beverage is a nine thousand year old rice and honey wine from central China. That sounds good. Actually, I'm sure it tasted pretty nice.
1: I've had some um
0: like thinking like homemade, sweet like, sake or something. Yeah,
1: I've had homemade um Rice wine from uh, so many Asians around Merced. And so um, it's, they make the best ever. Like
0: like homemade?
1: Yeah. Uh, the white one is made to get drunk, but the red one is made to numb your body.
0: Can you – if you mix them.
1: It's fun. <laughs> Believe you me. It's fun.
0: Okay, they, re- they really recommend not to mix them though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I just want okay. to sedate myself for a while. I know. I do I know. too. We all do. We all do. <laughs> Since um, what the – Paleolithic period, I guess <laughs> Since we were tiny animals uh-huh. um, So there is also evidence of tartaric acid from grapes found in ancient Armenian jars dating back to 7,400 years This is also around the time and region that Vitis vinifera, which is the, the grapevine that most modern wines made from, was domesticated
1: I heard it through the grapevine
0: <laughs> Then I got drunk Yeah,
1: I forgot what they said Made um, up,
0: something
1: else up there you go <laughs> cheers
0: so um starting around 6000 bc vitis vinifera spread from the eastern mediterranean into greece and lower europe largely aided by phoenician traders so this is like the point in time where like you're getting a lot of more intermingling of cultures so oh. they're bringing like their their wine their different like plants and stuff and being like here you guys have some or
1: i imagine this just this badass unity of countries coming together with a byob and just <laughs> you know and just like
0: like, like this is mine. what we get shit faced on this is what you yeah. guys okay let's, let's train. mix
1: it and see let's what mix happens. and match <laughs> you see the melting pot is beautiful people
0: yeah so, around 4,000 BC, proto-winemakers in Israel, Armenia, and Iran made their wine in large earthware vessels, which they submerged underground. So, they had these huge, like, jars. And to kind of cool them, uh, they just dug big holes and stuck them underground. Okay. Yeah. So, in ancient Egypt, wine-like substance made from red grapes was used in ceremonies and to mix their medicines. Of course. Because, you know. It was all
1: great drugs at one time was medicine. Medicines. medicines.
0: And it'll taste better if you're mixing it with wine, which was another medicine. medicine yeah. um, so the Greeks were the ones to further perfect and spread wine. They even had a a god of wine in their pantheon, Dionysus. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah that guy from uh, Fantasia, that like fat, goofy looking guy, with the little Gosh, naked fairies flying around him, sure, and he's <laughs> just drinking. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> he's him. drinking wine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna have a wine, a god, no, a god. of something, might hey, as well be wine. Jesus.
1: Jesus' blood was made of wine. Yeah. And need would be touching everything, turn it into wine. You know, that guy sacrifices weekend for you. You know? So it's like, he's like, drink up, buddy. Drink, drink up. Here's some wine.
0: So Jesus was Dionysus. Interesting. Okay. We <laughs> tapped into something no, here, Jonah. Just, they were like they were buddies. Homies. Yeah. <laughs> so See, my my buddy Dionysus has the hookup.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jesus does too, but there are different types of hookups. So, you know, they're like.
0: Right, so uh, as the Roman Empire rose in power, Dionysus transformed into Bacchus, oh. and the Romans had a huge conquest Bacchanal across Europe. So,
1: Bacchus sounds cooler. Bacchus, yeah, yeah. he sounds like he's gonna Dionysus, fuck you up, and then get drunk,
0: or you know, drink while he, yeah,
1: while you, maybe he can,
0: <laughs> <laughs> he can do both. He can. Bacchus can can multitask. That's
1: right. <laughs> He'll drink while fucking you up. Then go home and drink some more.
0: Yeah, to celebrate. Yeah. Um, so Romans really made wine their own. They began to recognize the effects of terroir, which is like the, the soil composition on the wine, and valued specific vintages. And a vintage is just the specific year that that wine was okay. cultivated and made. Um, the best Roman vintage that we know of was from 121 BC, and it was called the Opa. Op- Opium vintage, because after like the, the Roman emperor at oh, the time, Opium uh,
1: vintage would have been better. Opiumian, Opiumian, okay. um,
0: but it was really highly valued, and they in- enjoyed it for decades. It was one of the most sought after vintages of like Roman wines. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, give I would me try a bottle of that of two thousand year old <laughs> wine. <laughs> It'd be like dust now. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be drinking like vinegar. <laughs> Um, so one of the many, 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 places, many, 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 that the places that the Roman, the Romans conquered was the region that is modern day France. It's like the Gauls at the time. Oh yeah. There's going to be French accents. Sorry guys. The so,
1: friends, we are coming for you
0: and your wine
1: <laughs> and your wine
0: <laughs> and your women
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the that The baguettes. baguette, I mean,
0: <laughs> <The> petit croissant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it was probably the Greeks who first introduced wine to the Massilia region in France during the sixth century BC. However, un- under Roman occupation, winemaking and viticulture began to creep further into northern France. By the first century AD, wines from the region were were gaining renown. Then, by the sixth century AD, vines stretched into what is modern-day Champagne. And nice. Champagne is actually was named by the Romans because the the region, like the rolling hillsides on the mm-hmm. region. Um, Reminded them of like a, a specific spot in, in Italy that was called Campania. So they oh. named this area Campania and that became Champagne because, you know, the French like to be fancy.
1: They, they do it their way.
0: They That's do it their way.
1: way. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we take alcohol and cooking to another level.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we like these the stupid, frog legs.
1: These stupid Romans, they do not know they do what not. the these French st- are able to do.
0: These Italians.
1: Yes, Italian. <laughs> Next time we'll go to Germany.
0: Are we like our accents are all over the place?
1: <clears throat> Another week of butchering accents.
0: Yeah, yeah sorry. I'm not. <laughs> so unlike their neighbors to the south, the Champagne region had certain qualities that made viticulture more difficult. The high altitude and low annual temperature in- really inhibited grape ripening. So during the the seasons, grapes weren't you know it was really hard to get a harvest through. To completion, um, just because it was cold, it's like one of the lim like at the limits of where grapes can grow. Just oh, because really? anything after that, it's going to be really cold. Um, so the high altitude and low annual temperature inhibited the the grape ripening. This low temperature produced grapes that are that were high in acidity and really low in sugar. Ooh. And you need sugars for the yeah, fermentation so. process because that's what the yeast are just nibbling on. They're no Yeah, they're like little yeah. sour grapes. Um, additionally, fungal diseases and early spring frosts threaten each crop because it's, again, a very wet climate. Um, so, the chalky soil also in the region retained the heat from the sun, and it released it th- thr- throughout the night. So, that was kind of one of the positive things. Like, the soil here is really chalky. There's a lot of chalk deposits, um, which we'll come back later because it tends to be a positive thing, oh. well, specifically for Champagne. Nice. Yeah. So, it also provided ideal drainage. So, when it rained, you know, the the soil wasn't staying soaked. So, These specific soil characteristics imparted a lightness and thinness to the wines of that region, which was kind of not what they were going for.
1: Um, Like it nice and thick, like Patrick?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Robust. (laughs) That's a good word for Patrick, robust. Oh, yes. He does have a nice bust. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm going to edit that Patrick, don't listen
1: to this episode when I play it next week at work.
0: (laughs) Right in front of you. Turn it up. <laughs> Specifically, this part. Make everyone go quiet. Hi,
1: Patrick.
0: <laughs> so, so when Hugh Car- Capet, I'm gonna say Capet, he was he was a French king. When he was crowned crowned king of France in uh, 987, his coronation was held at the Cathedral of Reims.
1: I love all the words Reims, today. They're Reims. so close to something better. Reams and dreams Rem. and opium and opium and, you yeah. know, just they're so close, but not quite there, you know? <laughs> I
0: know. It's the French. Because <laughs> he drove a reams. A oh, reams? I'm sorry. I don't. I like reams. Um, sure. I know it's pre- pronounced something funky. not R-E-I-M-S, people. That's the letters. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. So this was basically, this is Champagne country. This oh, was in really? Champagne. Okay. So. um
1: it's like France, Napa. Yeah, California.
0: Yeah, sort of. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so during his coronation, he served the local wines which were still pay which were a still pale pink and light bodied that were made mostly from Pinot Noir. Okay. Um, So Reims became the traditional place of coronations for future French kings, meaning that the wines of the region gained a boost in popularity because of this. Oh. Well, I mean, like, if the kings are all being crowned in this place and they're serving these wines, it's like, well, it's the the wine of kings. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just all they had. That's all.
0: Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the same regional climate that made wines thin and acidic also made them prone to to a secondary or technically it's a restarted fermentation. Oh really? Yeah, so. Oh,
1: so like when how some coffees are double roasted, this is being double fermented.
0: Kind of, yeah. Nice,
1: so, drunk or something.
0: Kind of. So oh, this I'm is what was this. happening. The so the short growing season meant that grapes had to be harvested later in the year. So it's they have like a really wet so it's like a wet climate, the growing season's really short so they kind of, you know, usually harvest starts you know like august like september september october november so for them because it takes so like the climate is cold so it takes so long for the grapes to really ripen they have to push that harvest later in the year so almost into into um winter
1: so if these grapes were to come out during a dry season would that be why some champagne is dry no, that's something different. Oh, okay. We tried that's completely
0: different. Um, so, yeast in the wines, um, still undergoing fermentation, became dormant once the winter freeze arrived. So, they're fermenting their wines. You know, they throw the yeast in there, and the yeast are, you know, eating the sugars, creating alcohol. But once it gets too cold, like the yeast stop, like they go basically to sleep. So, mm-hmm. any of those metabolic processes become arrested. So, I mean, the, there's still sugars in there to be uh, that can be converted to to alcohol and to other stuff. But the yeast are not doing any They're of sleeping. that anymore. They're sleeping. They're like, oh, it's so cold. I go yeah, sleep.
1: It's time for hibernation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, we'll get you
1: drunk next summer.
0: Yeah. So thinking that the process was complete, that the fermentation process were complete, the winemakers would bottle and store their wines. So these wines haven't completed fermentation just yet. So once the summer brought hotter temperatures, the yeast would you know wake up and then they start fermenting again. Whatever. Probably like
1: crazy too, huh?
0: Yeah, they're like, oh fuck yeah, it's hot. Let's make some alcohol. Yeah, nice
1: long sleep. (laughs) I'm ready to work and get drunk.
0: Fuck yeah, they're like rolling up their (laughs) sleeves. All right, guys, we got work to do. (laughs) So, um, a major product of fermentation is CO two, so carbon dioxide. Yeah. Little bubbles. So as it builds up in the bottle, it creates pressure. Right. So like these are you know capped bottles so it's building up pressure and building up pressure eventually the pressure would come so high that the bottles would spontaneously explode nice so they're being stored in these like underground cellars and they're all like you know racked up usually on their sides right Mm -hmm. so if a bottle explodes it's going to shoot this cork out and then that cork is going to hit on another bottle which is probably also going through the same like issue so there's still there's build up pressure in there so that bottle is going to explode then it's going to shoot another one so there's it becomes this, this beautiful
1: like, chaotic chain yeah, reaction exactly. of the domino effect, which is like so awesome bottles boom boom,
0: boom, 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 Yeah, so like just imagine being like one of the monks that yeah. that has to take care of these um, abbeys, like the and like the main source of abbeys is winemaking. So you have to spend your entire past season producing wine that will be drank by kings because you're in Champagne. So you walk into the cellar to check on your beautiful stock, then suddenly a bottle just explodes and then it's then another one and a cork (laughs) shoots off in every direction as if you know they're possessed or something and you know you're pelted with glass and wine and cork so what do you think is happening like what what the hell is happening with your wine so monks actually began referring to this wine as le vin du diable so the devil's wine i was
1: just about to say something spiritual is going to get in on this yeah it's
0: like this wine is possessed
1: (laughs) all right i would drink the devil's wine yeah, so you know it's good.
0: Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, I'm sure it's the best. So, aside from possibly destroying large portions of wine, the bubbling in the, the wine was seen as a defect. It was kind of seen as like a bad winemaking technique. Like, it meant that you just weren't, you know, you
1: weren't doing your shit. You weren't
0: good. good. Um, so, at least um, for the Champagne Noir.
1: Or maybe Duke, what your day job? Like, fuck.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're a monk who's walking into that, like, nonsense, you're gonna be like, I what
1: i would do some ninja shit and, like some monk type ninja shit and start like popping quartz back in with my fist and kicking bottles you think, back the, to place. You think
0: french benedict monks were that <laughs> agile
1: yeah. they were probably drunk already
0: like fuck i've been tasting this wine for so long um <laughs> so you know uh when in steps in a benedict monk who you know would set the framework for modern champagne production and we're going to talk about him next. But first, we're going to take a little break right now to get some sponsorship.
1: I need to get drunk.
0: And we're going to chug some champagne. Yeah, well, Prosecco, it some yeah. sparkling wine.
1: <laughs> it's champagne from Italy. <laughs> champagne makes me fart. Let
0: me be, let let be your button button. Button.
1: Take burn care, people.
0: And <laughs> oh, <well>, it's bubbling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Amongst other things. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, where are we? So we're back. <laughs> Hi. And um, just heard the lovely voice of one of our sponsors, Mr. Jonah's dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Mr. Jonah's dad. We love you.
0: <laughs> um, so we were just talking about how the monks were, you know, saying that this was the devil's wine because it spontaneously explode in their cellars. And they didn't they were trying to, like, fix that. So in comes another monk. So I actually couldn't really find a whole lot about his youth because this is like the six, early 1600s. So there's not. Great record-keeping until, you know, you become known for something. Exactly. Um, So his biography is going to be a little bit brief. So Pierre Perignon. Oh, Pierre. Pierre Perignon. um, He was born on December, in December 1639. Don't even know the exact date. Okay. (laughs) Um, He was baptized on the 6th of January of the following year, but so.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) I mean. Hey. Um, he was the seventh and youngest son of of the clerk of the local marshal. Uh, his family actually owned several vineyards in the area around Champagne. So from a very young age, he was immersed in wine, in the wine world. All
1: right. So he was born to drink,
0: or to make the wine. Or to make you know, it. he was yeah. he was one with the wine. Um, so he became a member of the boys' choir school operated by the Benedict Abbey of Moremont. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so and he remained there until 1651 and when he went to study at a jesuit college so he's kind of going into into being a monk since okay. he was little which is probably his only option being the youngest son of seven and i don't think Most he's gonna of them are monks right yeah, he's not going to get yeah. any sort of inheritance, really. So at the age of 17 or 19, I saw conflicting accounts. So mm-hmm. one source said 17, one source said 19. In that time, like, whatever. Probably he,
1: saying he's probably married with kids already.
0: No, oh, he, okay. he, because he joined the Benedict <laughs> Order of the Abbey of St. Vaughan. Bon. Oh, that's
1: right. He's not he's allowed. A monk. He's
0: not, he's not going to be using that the wine that he's making the same way that our monkey ancestors were. Oh no! Tiny animal sex. Okay. <laughs> so there he lived a, a monastic life, which included a regimen of prayer, study, and manual labor. So he's just living the monk life.
1: Sounds like he needs a drink.
0: Maybe that's why he went. He became like the their winemaker. <laughs> so in 1668, <laughs> he's like, "Fuck, I can't." <laughs> I got to pray all the time. I got to work. I need to drink.
1: <laughs> Not allowed to have sex or look at ladies. Uh, can they talk
0: at least? Yeah. All right. Like, I mean, they didn't have like a, um, like an order or what is it called? Like a silence. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. An they oath weren't of, silent. They oath weren't of silence. Yeah. An oath. oath of silence or yeah. whatever. Okay. But they, most of the time they were kind of, it wasn't like a party, Abby, I guess.
1: <laughs> all right. They're, it was
0: a, a. It's a very solemn existence, oh, okay. yeah. So in 1668, he was transferred to the Abbey Saint Pierre de Ooh, the ha- the Hauntville's. Ha- Hauntville's. Hauntville's. De Hauntville's. So we'll just refer to the Abbey <laughs> from now on. And there he was meant to serve as the treasurer and the cellar master. And the cellar master would be like the he was in charge of like. Not just the the winemaking, but he would pick the wine, oh, like the the okay. grapes, and then he'd be in charge of like the distribution and like all that stuff. Well, so he was point like a
1: to point Z, pretty much, right. yeah. So so he took an oath for wine to get you drunk, people. Yes, he did. The kings.
0: Well, and now we can get drunk off Dom Perignon. Hey, I drink better so, than the kings did. Drink a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so the popular myth is that. Dom Perrion, who, you know, after becoming a monk, he became known as Dom because that's like the, you know, like a title or like a signifier of being, you know, uh, it's like Don, like a Don. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So so that was their version
1: of their mafia of liquor?
0: Sure. I mean, their monk (laughs) liquor mafia. (laughs) So the popular myth is that he invented sparkling wine. But this is really not the case. Sparkling wine, although not as we know it now existed long before Perignon went to the abbey. So as early as 1531, Benedict monks at the abbey of St. Hilaire near Lemo wrote about a sparkling white wine that had undergone a restarted fermentation in a flask. So this is like almost 100 years before he was even born. Okay. So uh, uh, other places in France were producing effervescent wines, uh, and there are claims from it- Italy that sparkling wine was being produced there in the 1500s. So there's a short, you know, there's a history of sparkling wine because this, this process of refermentation can occur just, you know, when you're making wine, um, Making, you know, fizzy, fizzy wine. Um, so actual sparkling wine was described by Oxford educated chemist Christopher Moret. In December of 1662, he presented a paper to the Royal Society describing the process of making sparkling wine by putting sugar in the bottle of finished wine to trigger a second fermentation. So this is a little bit different than refermentation fermentation um, because the second fermentation is that you're adding new yeast to actually trigger anu- yeah, a was. new fermentation. Yeah. But, like, a re-fermentation is just that the the yeast went dormant. They were sleeping, and then those same yeast came back. Okay. Um, How long does fermentation take? It depends, like, on the amount of sugar that's in whatever you're fermenting. Okay. Um, it could be a really short time. It can take a long time. Um, but it, it just depends. Um, so this this uh, paper kind of coincided with the sugar craze in, that the English were experiencing at the time. So they literally put sugar in. Everything, fucking everything. Um, Sounds
1: like my kind of people. Yeah. Well, that's sugar. why their teeth
0: are so bad. Worse so bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why my teeth are so bad. Yeah,
0: like they put it like you know their their tea, their you know food, their wine. Uh, they sort up of put it like a big old scoop of sugar in their wine. Oh. Wow. Um, so, yeah, distinguished wow. English gents would add a spoonful of sugar t- to their bottles of wine and store them Just for a later consumption.
1: The spoonful of sugar helps yeah. the medicine go down. The wine. Then the wine. Just medicine. <laughs> yeah. It's all <laughs> medicine, right?
0: Yeah, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better. Um, so, so yeah, so they put, like, spoonfuls of sugar in, like, their, their wine and they, like, recap it and they store it for later. Okay. So. You know, except when when they went back and you know to it after a month or so, they found that the wine was dry and bubbly. And by dry, I just it just means that there's not a lot of sugar. So dryness, when it comes to to specifically sparkling wines, refers to the amount of residual sugar in the wine. Something that's sweeter is not going to be considered dry. Something that's like has less sugar, it's more bitter, is going to be dry.
1: I have always wondered that.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So it just refers to the sugar content. I wonder if that
1: goes with liquor as well. Probably. Yeah, it makes sense. now. Probably.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I just drank the stuff.
1: Thank you, monks.
0: Thank you, monks. So, yeah, so they'd find these this dry and bubbly wine instead of, like, the sweet and still wine that they were expecting. They're, like, they're coming in and they're, like, oh, where's my sweet wine? Oh, this is fizzy. This is nice. So then it was really the the English who kind of, like, liked it a lot. Like, they were into it. Uh, they where would. the Oh, well, yeah. Like, the French were like, this devil wine. <laughs> cannot. Well.
1: <laughs> we cannot have this devil this wine.
0: Says,
1: I this devil wine is, like, not <laughs> superior to the French. So, you hmm. stupid you English <laughs> people can have you
0: it. You stupid English.
1: Who <laughs> we will? You can keep your devil wine. You have can <laughs> keep your
0: devil wine. So, regardless... Uh, Dom Perignon's task at the Abbey was not to create Champagne or sparkling wine. It really was to prevent it. So he, <laughs> yeah, he was kind of his assignment was like, okay, figure out how to get rid of this bubbly stuff because we want to be, you know, the best French wine place. So, yeah, like, at this point, Champagne and Burgundy, which is another region in France that has, like, really popular and well-known wine, they were locked in a really bitter rivalry to produce the most impressive wines. Nice. Yeah. But, like, the like we talked about, the climate in Champagne made it so that they could not compete with the rain wi- red wine category because Burgundy is producing these, like, rich, robust red wines that everyone loves. And they're, like, ooh, so velvety and good. So instead, Champagne, they're trying to to make a white wine that's going to set them apart because they can't they can't get that beautiful red color in their wine. Mm. So they're like, okay, fuck, let's make white wine. We'll be the white wine people. Um, (laughs) However, most of their attempts ended in dull gray or pale pink wines because they're still producing red or black grapes, and they don't really have the techniques to to clarify them and make them into like beautiful beautiful white wines. Yeah,
1: the gray isn't too bad. What huh? right. kind of gray now? That's what I'm trying like
0: to I'm thinking, like a yucky, like you like know, you know, if you dilute grape juice.
1: You know what I just started thinking about right now? Huh? You know how when you um you make the yeast at work uh you were the, the spike tubes? Yeah. Uh, I'm picturing that kind of a grayish pink, which is pretty gross.
0: Probably, yeah, something yeah. like that. That's kind of how yeah. the
1: public sex wine look when We did it. It was really, it got you fucked up, but it was gross. <laughs>
0: So, you know what you needed? You needed Mr. Dom Perignon.
1: That's exactly. I could have gone to the store and just got some.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, so Perignon quickly realized that he could not completely prevent the spontaneous sparkling wine because it just happened. And it was like the region was prone to it a lot. So, he sought to really limit it. And at the same time, he wanted to improve the quality and clarity of their white wines. So Perignon, you know, was described as a perfectionist. So he really sought to improve the Abbey's viticulture practices. So he started implementing a lot of new stuff. The Abbey relied on peasants to pay a tithe, which typically was part of their harvest. So in that area, they're mostly growing a ton of, gr- of grapes, okay. of you know, and they're Always being grown by peasants.
1: Always <laughs> falls on the working man and the poor, yeah, exactly. you know.
0: <laughs> Back to your vineyards, peasants. Yes, we need to get drunk. <laughs> Make some wine for the Lord. Um, yeah, so they pay, you know, their tithe in grapes. Um, so the Abbey had a really large variety of grapes to work with. So they're getting a bunch of different types or varietals oh, of, of grapes. Cool. Um, although uh Perignon preferred to use Pinot Noir grapes because they, you know, they had a superior taste in you know, according to him, uh, he established the process of blending several grape types together. So once they were like pressed and the juice was there, he would blend it and create a cuvee. So that'd be oh, like nice. a, um, like the base juice. Mm. Um, so he got so good at distinguishing grape varieties just by taste alone that, you know, he could even, um, that he conducted blind tastings and he could tell from which vineyard exactly the grapes came from. Damn, baller. Yeah, so he you know, he'd have like, Bunch of different grapes. He'd taste one. You're like, oh, that's from, you know, that peasant's, you know, a vine or whatever. Um, And this is where another myth of Dom Perignon comes from. Like they, you know, for a long time they thought he was blind or like the myth that Dom Perignon was blind. But it's, no, he was just conducting blind testings. Tastings. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: It's like that telephone game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it makes it, makes it cooler. It yeah. It's like oh, he's a blind monk and he's making crazy yeah. wine. But no, Bruce he was he had perfect sight. He was chunky too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which um, there's nothing wrong. With there's it.
0: nothing wrong. We're not trying to body shame Dom Perry. Did he have
1: like that funny haircut?
0: I think so. I think <laughs> nice. they all did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, now we can make fun of him.
0: Okay. Um, so, Perignon was an advocate for pruning, and pruning is like kind of clipping the, the vine down mm-hmm. to keep it at a, a certain height. So, he insisted that vines should not grow larger than three feet and they should yield a very small harvest. And that, you know, that makes sense because if you're producing less grapes, you're getting a higher quality grape. Oh, okay. So, there's that this concept sense, yeah. of a source and a sink in plant physiology so your source is your so like sugars are being created in the uh leaf right but then they're being stored in the sink which is going to be the fruit okay so if you have less fruit whatever fruit you have is going to be higher in sugar oh Mm. yeah i like that um, so he wanted all harvesting to happen in the cool early morning hours. So right at the, you know, break of dawn, he's like, okay, peasants get out there and harvest some grapes, get, um, get to work, get to work, peasants. Poor people. <laughs> so any bruised or damaged grapes were to be rejected. So the quality of the wine would be excellent. Also you're avoiding introducing like a lot of like spoilage organisms mm-hmm. by doing that, which is a really clever thing to do. Um, He even refused to let horses transport grapes to the press houses because they might get excited and damage the grapes. So he's like, instead.
1: No,
0: no. He actually, instead he wanted donkeys and mules because they were more mild manner. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, get the peasants (laughs) peasants. over here. (laughs) They're not excited over anything.
1: Nope. (laughs) And if they are, we'll beat it out of them. We'll beat
0: it out of them. (laughs) So uh, pressing is another area. So pressing is like squeezing the grapes to get the juice out. Um, that's another area that he innovated on. He wanted the grapes to be pressed quickly and efficiently. Since they were using red grapes mostly to create white wine, um, the least amount of contact between the juice and the grape skin was desirable. So in case you guys didn't know, the red color of wine comes from the skin, not from the pulp of the grape. Okay. Because, you know, if you peel a grape open, it's... Clear. Oh, yeah, it's clear. All of them are. So red wines are made by like letting the grape juice sit on the skin, so it soaks up the the anthocyanins, which is like that color com- compound in the grape skin that makes it red.
1: Also, if you peel them and put them in a uh, like a bowl of water, they feel like eyeballs. <sighs>
0: Shh. Yeah, Halloween's coming up. Yeah, that's that's life that's hack exactly. right
1: there. Life hack.
0: <laughs> I think if you put them in a microwave, they'll explode.
1: Oh, um, see. <laughs> Lighten, light your Bunsen burner just saved your Halloween <laughs> and your microwave experience.
0: Might have worsened the microwave experience.
1: Well, someone might have just right now been put some grapes in the microwave and you said that. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah.
0: Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, so also these skins impart their own flavor and texture profiles because they have all the extra um, secondary metabolites. So like other like little phenolic compounds and stuff that give like – flavor and texture to the wine and perignon did not want those in his white wines. So oh. he wanted to limit all of that okay. so to achieve this he kind of he invented his own gentler um cocard press which is a specific type of press to used oh, okay. during that time to squeeze the grapes also there's foot stomping but i think mm. he didn't really like that no, because you're getting a lot no. of that the um the skin contact yeah exactly yeah.
1: that sounds gross like Stump, stump, stump. The peasants are probably doing it and they're like, out there they're they're they're, nasty they're walking through feet. shit a minute ago, thinking it. <laughs> they're now walking now they're behind the mule. <laughs> you get the horse to do it. He's excited. The
0: horse, yeah. So now to address the issue of the exploding bottles, Perignon started using thicker English glass. So the glass before was like really thin and like, you know, the English because they were co- really French glass. Yeah, it's French glass,
1: was very it. thin. It <laughs> he gave up
0: very easily. Our
1: French glass has to be so sexy, <laughs> so it for it is not strong. Nope. No.
0: Now So pairing on one of the thick glass, that, that thick stuff. Nice
1: thick, Patrick nice. again. <laughs> Hi, Patrick. Patrick likes it thick. <laughs>
0: So um, the, the thicker glass could withstand the pressure buildup uh, during a restarted fermentation. So even if the bottle itself went bad, so if, like, the the wine inside, like, re-fermented and there was CO2 buildup, like, it wouldn't actually explode and wouldn't cause that chain reaction. So it wouldn't, like, lose the entire harvest or, like, the entire um, yield. So along with that, he also switched from using woolen, uh, from using wood and oil-soaked hemp stoppers to corks reinforced by, by wire or twine. So they used to just have like oiled up like hemp cloth that they just like shove in there because
1: that's not slippery. No, that's not going to shoot out
0: or anything. So yeah, so he he realized that that cork was so much better for it. Okay, Um, and And then he also he reinforced it. 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 Yeah, which was smart. So you know, uh, so-called champagne day uh, was so. What am I trying to say here? Um,
1: (laughs) So champagne day. (laughs) <laughs> it's today. Celebrate, everybody. Go yeah. pop open a bottle and drink <laughs> with your buddies at day. Lightyear Bunsen Burner. Um,
0: so the so-called day that champagne was invented, quote unquote, allegedly, is August 4th, 1693. Mm. So this is when supposedly Dom Perignon poured himself a glass of sparkling wine to taste. And after tasting it, he allegedly exclaimed, come quickly, I'm drinking the stars.
1: Oh, wow. What yeah. a poet.
0: Yeah. So this this is really an apocryphal story. It only really appeared in an advertisement in 1820 and can't be traced back any time earlier. So it's it's, okay. a, it's fake. Oh, um, is it? Yeah. Aww.
1: So. Such a fun story, though.
0: I know that'd be cool. I'm like I'm tasting be. the stars. I
1: know. It's fizzy
0: in my mouth, guys.
1: He. Where was he? Oh. We we could. Marilla <laughs> <laughs> loves that fizz.
0: I love the fizz. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's that was kind of a cool story and it's a great advertisement though
0: yeah and, i mean know, can you imagine i'm drinking
1: like, the stars and then yeah. you know people are He's like, like their gods and, stuff. and,
0: like, like, oh. and ah. there's like a halo
1: take him and his goofy haircut out and put like the the heartthrob of 1693 put, like, a, put, or whatever the fuck put a there. sexy monk in there <laughs> you know, just bam you know <laughs> so, the drink of the stars right yeah. there
0: so yeah, so the myth that Dom Pérignon invented champagne was further popularized by his successors at the Abbey in an attempt to increase the Abbey's importance in French wine history. Oh, they're, so they're trying they to stole be like, it. yeah, they're trying to be like this is where champagne was invect- invented, sparkling wine. We're all great. They
1: could have went with the root of. Um this is where champagne was perfected.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And that's really what it was. This is where champagne was controlled, where that mm-hmm. second fermentation was controlled and applied in a way that you can make like really good champagne, exactly. not just like not randomly just... fermented wine <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> Yay. Yay, Fizz.
1: <laughs> I mean, I like that kind of thing in my bathtub, but not yeah. when I'm celebrating at the strip club. With not all in the your ladies. mouth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, however, doesn't
1: belong in my mouth.
0: Well, Jonah, we know what you have in your mouth. Oh,
1: yeah, we know. <laughs> Mary loves to try to put things in my mouth for some reason. For the past three or four episodes. so
0: You never complain till now.
1: <laughs> I'm not complaining.
0: So, so, Perignon did establish some of the, the tenets of champagne making. Modern sparkling wine and champagne are purposely made through four main processes. So, this is how we've kind of controlled that production. So, one is carbonation. So, it's like a soft drink. You just pump the carbon okay. dioxide in there, and it makes it fizzy. That's the lazy way of doing it. okay. So, then there's tank fermentation, or the Charmant method. Oh, that sounds uh, fun. Yeah. So, the wine is put through a secondary fermentation in a bulk tank and then bottled under pressure. So, the... Um, you have, like, huge vats of the wine, and then you put the yeast in there, and it ferments again. And then once that's done, you can, like, clarify it and filter it and then put it in – and then bottle it. Okay. Yeah, um, that sounds much better. Then there's the transfer method. So the wine is put through uh, secondary fermentation in the bottle, and then all the bottles are emptied into a big tank, and the yeast sediment is filtered out, and it is then re-bottled under pressure. I don't like so, that method. No. No. So there's, like, you have the tank – you. Referment in the tank. You okay. referment in the bottle, and you put it in the all together, mix it up, yeah. so it's like uniform. Then you re bottle that. Um, now there's the champagne. I like the
1: uniform part about it, but so I, I like the second way better. Yeah.
0: So then there's the champagne method. So the oh. method champagneois, oh, champagneois, or whatever. So this is the traditional method. This is how champagne is legally supposed to be made.
1: Oh, okay. So um, this is it right yeah. here. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, just briefly, the the wine is put through secondary fermentation in the bottle itself, and the wine stays in this bottle with you know naturally produced bubbles until the consumer drinks it. Oh, so.
1: I like that way better. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's yeah. let's talk about that one, the method okay. champenoise. <laughs> oh. and
1: so. this is why the French have the the language of what, beauty or love or something because everything just sounds so sexy. Yes, it does. Method champignon.
0: So, this is this is away. how champagne with a capital C is made. So, once the base wine is made, so it's blended mm-hmm. and you have that cuvee um, and then you have what is known as like the assemblage. So, it's like all the, the wine is mixed in everything and like there's the yeast um, and it's fermented and so you have like an actual wine. So, this okay. is like your base wine. It's not going to be like a super tasty wine. It's not going to be something that's meant to be drank. It's just your base wine to make the actual champagne. Okay. Um, and usually you want something that's going to be pretty acidic, because okay. that that really promotes the the fer- refermentation process or like oh, okay. the, the restarted fermentation. So once the base wine is made, it is bottled through a process called uh, tirage, 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 something. Tirage. So the wine is mixed with tirage. Uh, tirage. tirage, tirage. So the wine is mixed with active yeast and sugar. So you're adding more yeast and more sugar. So you're, instead of, like, letting existing yeast, like, try to restart again, you're adding new stuff to it. Okay. Um, so it is then capped, and they kind of use uh, more, like, nowadays they use, like, bottle caps. Okay. So, like, something more that you'd see, like, on a, like, okay. a beer or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, it makes the later steps easier. So it is capped and the second fermentation occurs over a period of a, co- of a couple of weeks, usually like three or four, um, sometimes a little bit longer, depending on like what kind of um, wine you're – depending on – so there's two things it depends on. There's, there's a vintage champagne and then there's non-vintage champagne. Ooh. So vintage champagne means that all the grapes are coming from a single year. Non-vintage means that the, that blend, that first cuvee, is coming from – it could be coming from, like, different uh, uh-huh. vineyards, from different years. You can get, like, base wine from, like, 2007 and 2009, so it's not coming from like a single year. Okay.
1: Vintage so, sounds – or um, not vintage sounds a little bit more fun.
0: Yeah, and non-vintage takes a little bit less to ferment okay. uh, than, than vintage. So, yeah, so the secondary fermentation occurs over a period of weeks. The CO2 produced is trapped in that capped bottle. So it's it's still in there. So you have all the fizziness and good stuff in there. So as the yeast consumes all the sugar and turns it into alcohol, they die out and settle to the bottom. So they're also bursting open and, like, releasing all their tasty insides. So some of the stuff that you drink in champagne is actually yeast stomach stuff. (laughs) Nice yeast innards, so then all like mm, that, yes, yeah. So then all that this dead yeast is known as the lease and it settles down to the bottom.
1: The yeast is known as the lease. The lease, Mariella is now taking over the part of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so the wine can age on the lease for several years, actual champagne. Like, if it's vintage champagne, it has to be, I believe, 36 months. If it's non vintage, it has to be 15 months. Oh, okay. um, so it just, and that's legal requirements. Okay. But wines that sit on the lease, so that are kind of like aging on that, their yeast, the yeast corpses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the corpses of the yeast. <laughs>
0: um, for several years, tend to be creamier and more complex. So the oh. longer they sit on there, they're going to be a bit more more fun, I guess. Because more. Um, um, A lot of the champagne houses, they all do it for way longer, like up to six years. Nice. Yeah. It's
1: A lot of decaying yeast bodies. Mm
0: -hmm. A lot of, yeah, (laughs) decomposed yeast bodies. Yummy. Um, So the yeast sediment has to be removed prior to consumption, obviously, because you don't want to be chugging down a bunch of yeast corpses. Um, So this can be kind of a very time-consuming process known as riddling. And there are the people who do this are known as riddlers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so, great
0: so the bottles are placed um on a rack on a 40 45 degree angle so there's it's a rack with a bunch of holes and then a bunch of bottles are stuck in it by the neck and they're at an angle tilted um so every two days for champagne specifically uh, the bottles have to be taken out and shaken a little and kind of turned, like a quarter turn so this person, so if you have a thousand bottles or more of champagne, this Riddler guy every single day or every two days in this method has to go through, kind of shake them up a little, tilt the, uh, turn them, at all the bottles, <laughs> and then kind of increase that angle. And the point of this is you're trying to get that that sediment to go to the uh, to the neck okay. of the bottle.
1: Um, riddle me this, riddle me wine. Why does he do this all the time? <laughs>
0: Because it's his job. He didn't go to college.
1: He didn't go to college. (laughs) He's a monk. He's a monk.
0: Um, So, yeah, it's a really time-consuming process. And it can take a long time. So, gradually, you know, they're increasing the the angle of the rack. And after weeks of this process, the yeast settles to the neck. And something called degorging can occur. (laughs) Like it that is the best so word in the whole episode, degorging. de-gorging. Um, so degorging involves removing the, the yeast without losing much of the liquid. So, you know, in the old times, what they would do is they'd literally, they'd pop open the bottle, they'd transfer out the liquid, filter it, get all that yeast, and then re-bottle it. But when you do that, you lose a lot of that that CO2, that fizziness. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, So a new technique was actually invented by this, this woman who kind of took over her um, dead husband's uh, winemaking business and she developed uh, this specific method, which involves like you stick. No. So once you have that yeast on the neck, you can put it, you can now, now you can just straight up freeze it. But before you can, you put it in an ice bath, like a salt ice bath, so that the, the temperature drops a lot so that, Yeast sediment will freeze, and then you can open it. Take a pull it out. Take that little yeast plug out, and then cap it. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: I was thinking they were going to shake it up and shoot it out or something.
0: No. Okay. <laughs> you freeze it. You freeze it out. Oh, um, nice. So yeah, it, you're still losing a little bit of yeast of of not yeast of of um, champagne, but not as much as you would by oh, like yeah, transferring. Exactly. Uh, so now the bottle has to be recorked. But right before that, the liquid is topped off with base wine sugar and sulfur dioxide as a preservative. So this is, I forget what this is called. It's like um, li- liqueur du ex- like liquid of expedition or something. Nice. And they just kind of top liqueur it off. It could be like a brandy. Yeah, it could be brandy. It could be wine with a little bit of okay. sugar just to kind of replace some of like that, like the the lost liquid okay. that you from uh, degorging. Um Neat. So this is known as dosage. So you're dosing. Dosaging. dosaging. Uh Some of the main I like champagne. That yeah. A little uh, dosage. dosage of this, a little dosage <laughs> exactly, of yeah, that. Dosage
1: everything mm-hmm.
0: actually. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the main champagne houses actually have secret recipes for their specific dosage. So once it's bottled, the champagne can be drank or aged briefly. Mostly, you you want to drink it pretty quickly. A lot of people like the the um, young, barely aged champagne, and that depends on personal taste. Uh, the experts are still kind of out on how long you should age champagne for okay. there's actually been champagne like 300 year old champagne that really yeah
1: I wonder it's what probably
0: that's like. not very good
1: they, <laughs> say, they say like how old old alcohol is good right
0: for for still wines it is for champagne after. A couple of years, like, it starts losing some of, like, its crispness. Okay. So it'll become more, like, buttery and creamy. Ooh, that doesn't
1: sound good at all. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, you know, personal taste. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now champagne is a very popular drink, and, and actual champagne is highly regulated. Of course, it must, become, it must come from the region uh, of France to be known as actual champagne. Um, so the French have maintained their legal right to call their wine champagne for, you know, over a century. Um how come they get that right? Because they just lobbied for it. It's, um, oh, what is it called? Um, Appellation Duo or something. Uh, it's called AOC. of, okay. Appellation of. With champagne. S- no. But it applies to a okay. lot of different stuff. Okay. Um, so, for example, like uh, bourbon. There's a specific method to making bourbon. It has to come from a specific region for it to be called bourbon. Okay. Also Tequila falls under that. Okay. Certain kinds of cheeses fall under that. What about vodka? Not so much. Vodka is made everywhere, huh? Vodka is made everywhere, and okay. it's yeah. There's no like specific brand because like you know bourbon is whiskey. Yeah. But not you know not all whiskey is bourbon.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's like
0: that. Okay. Um. So, yeah, it, the Treaty of Madrid signed in 1891 established established this rule, and then the Treaty of Versailles reaffirmed it. The European Union helps to protect this exclusivity now, although certain American producers can still kind of generically use the term champagne in their label. So there's, like, California champagne, and it's just because of a loophole loophole in this law. Okay,
1: that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because uh, th- French could be like, okay, well, it's like it, – they call it California Champagne, but we know it's not Champagne mm-hmm. because it wasn't made here.
0: I think that might have recently changed, but I'm not quite sure. Okay. Um, also, there are specific types of grapes that can be used in production of Champagne. So you only want to use Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Manure. Manure? <laughs> manure. So it sounds
1: like manure.
0: Yeah. Manure and so, manure. Manure. And sometimes other grapes are used in the blend, but they're, they can't be like the main grape, like the, the large percentage of the grape. Okay. Um, and that's, that's
1: So they're just like a little thrown in here and there. They're just like, just it a off, little flavor. You know? Sprinkle okay. it.
0: Yeah. Know. So. All, all grapes
1: matter, people. All <laughs> grapes matter.
0: Um, Only Pinot Noirs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all sparkling wine matters.
0: Too. Yeah and i mean that's that's kind of the story of champagne and how this like crazy like devil's wine became one of the most loved drinks in the world and like now it's like you toast to it at weddings you like you know break it on you break bottles on ships to like christen them or whatever on their maiden voyage and it's awesome it's really cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does yeah it's, it is really cool yeah so every
0: time you pop open a bottle of champagne, just think about the le- the lengthy history behind this really bubbly drink. Um, Jonah, do you have anything to add? I
1: actually have a lot to add. Oh,
0: let's go, let's go, <laughs> let me pour some more.
1: All yes. right, actually, yeah, I'm gonna let me get a little drinky real quick, really quickly. Cheers. Cheers. Alrighty, um
0: With our mugs. <laughs> I know, huh?
1: We do not have uh, champagne Thanks. glasses. We have coffee mugs full of champagne. Or sparkling wine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so there's so much interesting information mm-hmm, about this. Mm-hmm. So much fun we could have with it. But I'm going to get a little crazy a little thoughtful with it. Okay. Got- I know a lot of people who uh, brew their own um, alcohol. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. It's really uh, popular to do right It's nowadays. really popular
1: to do. And, I mean, you can go down to – you, you can go on Amazon and get a kit and get going in a couple weeks. Yep. Um, and just to see how – long that process has gone from everything we've talked about on this episode all the way to buddies doing it in their garage public yeah. sex we did it out of uh um... toilet <laughs> <laughs> we did it out of buckets yeah. but i yeah. mean you know um we we didn't care we were mm-hmm. just bored you know um but just you know i know people who do this professionally they enter like their beers and whatnot into um uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, tournaments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people who make schnapps on the stove mm-hmm. and different things like that. And it's just like this process is, has gone on for so long. And now it's just like child's play almost, you know?
0: Like anyone can do it. And that's just because we have the technology available. Exactly. But and these like,
1: people, they paved the way.
0: Yeah, they did. It. Like Dom Perignon, he's mm-hmm. you know saying like, okay, we want the best grapes. We have to make our vineyards the best. We have to make them high quality.
1: And remember, guys, this is a, a scientific fact because I did take a bartending school. The bubbles in the champagne, or the sparkling wine, but mainly the champagne, go for the expensive stuff because it gets to the lady's head faster. Oh. Yes. <sighs>
0: <laughs> I, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, I remember... Um, Uh, When I took a bartending class out in Sacramento, that's the one thing they beat into us uh, to make champagne cells.
0: So they taught you to tell (laughs) horny men to buy the expensive stuff because they might get them laid. They're monkeys. (laughs) They're monkeys. (laughs) They're horny monkeys. (laughs) Yes.
1: We're back to that period again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Paleolithic horny monkeys. Yes. Yeah. So
1: whether you are – just remember if you're – a horny monkey or a distinguished person don't drink and drive
0: no please don't yes please drink responsibly um, also don't try to get women drunk to sleep with
1: them. No no you can you, do better than that
0: <laughs> Like I mean buy buy the expensive champagne and impress oh, yes, her for sure yeah. but don't do it because it's going to be Because the like, bubbles work Yeah
1: because you could do this on your own buddy
0: Like we believe in you too yes, yes, you, we do. your personality you know? is great <laughs> <laughs> Who
1: are we talking about?
0: I don't know. James, James, okay, James,
1: James, the horny dude. James, James
0: you, we believe in you. We
1: believe in you, James. <laughs> we love you, and you can do this on your own without the alcohol. But if you're gonna go for alcohol, go ahead, pop open a bottle of that expensive. Yeah, stuff.
0: get the get the Dom Perignon, some Moët Shadow. All right. So we want to thank everyone for listening to us, especially James, because we believe in him. Um, and if you like the show, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rate and a review. If you want to be even more amazing, you can actually donate to the show by going to anchor.fm slash Pod and clicking the support this podcast button.
1: Just push it. That's Just all push I have to do. it. Click. Give us
0: money. We got to fund our champagne addiction. <laughs> We want the expensive shit because the bubbles work. (laughs) The bubbles are working, people. (laughs) Please help us. So if you want to share your opinions about this episode or if you want to suggest future episodes, you can drop us a line at our email, bunsenburnerpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on the internet at our website, bunsenburnerpod.com. And we're also on Twitter at bunsenburner19 and on Instagram at bunsenburnerpod. We'll post some fun stuff on there. be more on that. Um, <laughs> but you can find me at Gatos and Tiaras on Twitter and Instagram. Um, a lot of pictures of my cats.
1: They're cute. <laughs> and me drinking. Pico.
0: Yeah. Or you can search my name on Facebook and you'll find me. Jonah, do you want to let them know where they can find you?
1: You can find me at bakerbase at yahoo.com. B-A-K-R-B-A-S-S at yahoo.com. Or check me out on Facebook where you'll see a bunch of pictures of like punk rock and girls and alcohol and weed and stuff. Anime. I got a lot of anime too. Anime. Yeah, anime. Uh, what else? Uh, bass. Oh, man. Everything's bass, bass. Bass, 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 So, yeah. Come drink with me. Anytime you guys want. Hit me up and we will drink. And- <laughs> but you're paying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And as always, we want to thank John Otway for letting us use his song Bunsen Burner as a theme to our show.
1: I like so to pop a <laughs> we'll say something else, I like to pop a bottle for him.
0: <laughs> yes, he deserves it. He's amazing. Go I might listen. pop
1: something else for him, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. And also a little special thanks for a cameo appearance by Mr. Jonah's dad.
1: <laughs> Hi, Dad. We love you.
0: <laughs> Who actually has a name, but is he okay with us saying his name?
1: Probably Dave Baker. Well, oh, said it. Oh shit. Okay.
0: Can't edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well thank him. And uh
1: oh, bye, bye. <laughs> James.
0: Let me be your and